You heard me, Linda. As part of your initiation into Alpha Lambda Sorority, you've got to wear that torn, shabby dress to the freshman dance. But, Donna, I'll be the laughing stock of the campus. Oh, if only I dared to come to the dance in my supergirl identity. I'd be the bell of the ball. The lovely schoolgirl is off to college at last. Eagerly, she looks forward to new experiences and new friends. But her dream crumbles when she tries to join a sorority. Life becomes a torment as Linda is hazed, heckled, and harassed. The first arc is good. I wish he hadn't have had to tie up the loose ends of Zor-El as Cyborg Superman. But... Wait, uh, that's... Like, I, I knew her dad was Cyborg Superman, but I thought, like, it was still Henshaw. Nope. It's Zor-El. It, it, so Cyborg Superman was never Henshaw? It was always Zor-El? Okay, here's the thing. I'm waving my hands around and saying comics, everybody. <laughs> because... Cyborg Superman was both Zor-El and Henshaw at different times. God damn it, comic books. And it's now Henshaw again because Zor-El is dead and gone and hopefully forever. So, he assumed the identities of Zor-El or Henshaw, or there's just two Cyborg Supermans? Two Cyborg Supermans. Oh, go to hell, comics. Uh, (laughs) welcome back, Super Friends. I am Corey, and with me, as always, is my college-bound co-host, James. I'm in crippling debt. Oh, We are back with you a little late this month, but never late in our hearts, to bring you the Supergirl stories from the middle of 1964. We start with Action Comics number 313, published in June of 1964, written by Leo Dorfman, art by Jim Murray, Title, Lena Thoral, Jungle Princess. Ooh, boy. We open with Lena visiting her friend Kara, or Linda, as Lena knows her. And uh, they're at Lena's house and waiting on the mailman, who Lena uses her ESP to realize that he has a letter concerning her application to join the FBI. Yeah, you could just open it, Lena. The letter is telling her that they are still checking her record, but they want her to paper on criminology by interviewing several notorious convicts, including her unknown brother, Lex. Wait, wait, wait. Haven't they been running a background check for about a year at this point? I I think they just don't want to let her down, James. That's always the problem with J. Edgar Hoover. His heart is just too big. So, the next page... We get the information that Lex Luthor is setting up a rooftop garden. With the most adorable little pot plants. Like, Luthor has officially entered the little old lady part of his criminal career. Well, and while Lex is planting things of his own, the FBI is planting bugs in his cell. Ha ha ha. See what I did there? We all saw, Corey. We saw and we did nothing. So... Lena comes to interview Lex Luthor, and Lex recognizes her, and 
realizes the guard has every thought against her ESP powers so that she can't learn that he's her brother. That's why I don't spend any time with my sisters. Just too much work putting up those mental boundaries. And the emotional boundaries. So, we find out that Lex has decided to give up his career of crime to re- to raise rare plant mutations so that he can be known as the Plant Man of Metropolis Prison. And after telling her about his new career path, he decides to, what else, detail her his origin yet again. <laughs> and so, back when Superman was Superboy, he caused me to lose my hair. Resentment turned me against all he stood for, and I became evil. I wonder if Luthor only realized how stupid this all sounded whenever he said it aloud just then. (laughs) Oh, God! I'm a moron! It was all about hair! I have 17 consecutive life sentences! So Lena asks him about his siblings, and he, he flubs and tells her he was an only child... But that gets him thinking about how she's actually his sister, and her ESP allows her to realize that he's been lying to her and that she's his sister. Heaven help me. I can't hold back the truth any longer. Yes, Lena, you're my sister. My own flesh and blood. And then we get Lena's origin story. (laughs) Can we talk about... (laughs) Can we talk about her hair? Okay, is it just me, or does that flashback look like an Oingo Boingo album cover? Like, it's very, very (laughs) pop art. Like, she's touching a space brain, giving her (laughs) eraser head hair with a giant zap over her. This looks like something Robert Crumb would draw. Zap. You can't forget the hyphen. It's like (laughs) Spider-Man. And then, of course, as Luthors are wont to do... We get my favorite bit of continuity, Luthor's parents deciding that they have to drive away forever from Smallville after Lex was killed in a mountain climbing accident. Damn those treacherous mountains of Smallville. And then Lena looks over Lex's criminal file and decides that she can never see Supergirl again, but as as fate would have it, she wanders into oncoming traffic and has to get rescued by Supergirl. Uh, and then Supergirl takes her home, and Lena decides that she must leave forever by going to Africa. No, not the island nation of Africa. <laughs> so she heads to the jungle of Tarumba with a traveling actor group and picks up the wrong suitcase at the airport. And wouldn't you know it, suddenly she's caught in a sudden monsoon. And her clothes are soaking wet and she has to change, but <gasps> gasp, she doesn't have her suitcase. She only has the suitcase of the costume designer, which had in it a zebra skin jungle babe outfit. This is the exact set of circumstances that led to Alexander Skarsgård being in that Tarzan movie. Gasp. And then... She gets attacked by a lion, and can we talk about the lion's really human-looking face? It's weird. He looks like he's from the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> like, it does not look like a cat. I'm sorry, Jim Mooney, I love you, but good God, that thing is terrifying. Luther, why? And then the next panel, it gets even worse, because the face looks more cat-like, but the body looks like it belongs to an American bison. It really does. <laughs> like, it's like 
some weird genetic scientist decided to meld human, lion, and bison DNA, and this is the horror that we got out of it. God, what theater of the grotesque has Lena Thoriel stumbled onto in her Jungle Girl outfit? And she calms down the giant kitty cat with her ESP, because that's how ESP works. Hey, Xavier did the same thing in Logan. It's legit. That's telepathy, not ESP, James. ESP is just being able to see briefly into the future. <laughs> Look, it was the 60s. Anything that sounded mentally fell under the umbrella of mind power. This is, this is the same logic that has Kara melting things with her x-ray vision. Fair, fair. So, Lena meets all the other jungle beasts... And uses her ESP to enslave them. No! Damn your white privilege. And meanwhile, back in Midvale, Kara discovers that Lena has fled. And she goes to visit Lex, who is verklempt <laughs> over having told Lena that she is really his sister. And so Supergirl goes to try to find Lena. Little does she know, Lena is just cutting a bloody swath through Africa with her army of elephants. Really, this is what's happening. And they are the angriest looking elephants I have ever seen. Like, holy crap. It's terrifying. And there's, like, poachers, but they're stealing bones from an elephant graveyard, which you think would actually be a good thing because they're not hurting any living elephants. Like, this is actually a good solution to the whole poaching problem. Yes, but these elephants are the religious sort who will not have their bones tampered with. Oh, they will not have their names written in the book of elephant life. And then... <laughs> then she attacks more poachers with crocodiles and helps rescue some dude who fell into a pile of quicksand with an ape named Cabre. Oh, thank God, jungle ape man. I just want to know, and this isn't specific to this story, but in uh, the medium in general, how many people are just wandering around the African jungle at a any given time? Right. And they're all white. It's like, I'm pretty sure 90% of the population in the DC version of Africa is just white adventure men on safari. So the guy she rescued gets back to the camp and gets chastised for believing in a fairy tale. And then instants later, she frees a captured leopard with her gorillas and makes the idiot eat his words, and then she gets shot. The bullet only grazed Lena and gave her amnesia. Ah, damn, Lena and her hysterical amnesia. Briefly, because one day later, it all went back to her. And so she gets offered $1,000 to return to civilization and be a zookeeper for a circus. I, lo I just love the Forrest Gump-like existence Lena Thoriel has randomly fallen into. And so she decides that she will, in fact, uh, help all these uh, circus people capture all these wild animals and take them to the circus. Um, and she explains to us in a thought bubble that all the nonsense words that she is using are just for appearances because she actually gives them their commands by telepathy. And I'm like, 
Lena, no. We don't want anyone to think that I'm weird. Um, so, okay, I'm, I'm confused here, James, because they clearly get on a cruise ship. Yeah. Cut to them. At the airport. Yeah, weeks later, at the airport. Are they lost at sea and then they had to be rescued via airplane? Oh, what if it's like Spy Hunter? You remember Spy Hunter, Corey? <laughs> the boat just transforms into an airplane and flies away. Okay, maybe. Oh man, Lena, watch out for oil slicks. And suddenly the observation deck that exists at the airport to watch planes land is too crowded with people wanting to see the mysterious jungle princess, and it collapses where they have to be rescued by Supergirl, who promised Lex Luthor weeks ago that she would find Lena Thorell. Weeks! <laughs> weeks ago! So... Lena also helps to save the people with a monkey and a lit, and Kara doesn't recognize her best friend. That cannot possibly be Lena. All that Luther DNA would prevent her hair from reaching that length. And Lena finally tells Kara that she is actually Lex's sister, and that she can't have a normal life, friendship, love, and marriage, but she can be a jungle princess. And run away with the circus. To be fair, this is the exact same thing Victoria Hitler did. <laughs> Supergirl goes back to Lex, and Lex is very sad that he ruined her life. Except he's not, because this entire time, with his exotic plant garden, Lex has been plotting his next evil plan. Once I've grown this orange tree... I'll have the orange juice I need to become invisible Luthor once again. Linda goes to the circus and ride a lion through a flaming hoop. No, that's not a good idea for the lion. And Lena has a, a nightmare that she is guilty by association just by having the same DNA as Lex Luthor. That's her, Luthor's sister. You're his flesh and blood. You're as evil as he is. You'll turn to a life of crime, too. It's just a matter of time. No, no, I can't go on. I can't face it anymore. For the sake of their old friendship, Kara decides she will be the jungle princess tonight. Meanwhile, at Metropolis Prison, Luthor is getting some sinister gardening going on. So the minerals that Supergirl brought him from space made of powerful plant hormone which he uses on his vines to escape prison by climbing down the side of it like Jack on the beanstalk. Well, technically it's a reverse Jack. Jack had to run away from the giant too, so he climbed down. Well, sure, if you want to go to the boring part of the story. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kara is just having her skull gnawed by a dead-eyed lion beast. She laments privately in her thought bubble that she... She doesn't have Lena's ESP to control these creatures, but she's invulnerable, so she's okay. And the next panel is her getting crushed by an elephant foot. While also looking distressed. I'm sure the people in the audience are like, this is the worst animal-taming act I've ever seen. She's just being injured. And then Lex, straight from prison, goes to the circus. Lena... I escaped from prison just so I could bring you these <coughs> flowers for your debut. Uh, excuse me, I seem to have a cold. 
You made a mistake, Luther. I'm Supergirl, disguised in your sister's costume. You're coming back to prison with me. Supergirl, please. Let me give these flowers to the <coughs> real Lena before I go. <laughs> Lex gives a bouquet of his special flowers to his sister and then gets blown back to prison. And it turns out he broke out of prison just to erase the memory of his relationship with Nina. Yes, because Lex brewed a special flower whose fumes cause the recipient to forget all unpleasant memories permanently. <laughs> what the? The same plant Luthor uses every night to wipe away all the inappropriate thoughts he has about Superman. And... Sure enough, Nina has forgotten that she was Lex Luthor and also forgot about him as Jungle Princess. How was that unpleasant? That friggin' rule. <laughs> like, she woke up and realized that she was in a weird costume at the circus and came back home. Oh, tequila. And then she finishes her report to the FBI telling them to use... To take away his plant hobby. We can't have him going out there doing good for people by removing their harmful memories. That's Superman's job. That leads us to Action Comics 314 from July of 1964 by Dorfman Mooney, And the story title is Supergirl's Tragic Ordeal. And we open in the city of Kandor, where we find out that Supergirl's Krypton mom, Allura, has been sick and is wheelchair-bound. Keep in mind, they're in the city of Kandor, so it's a space wheelchair with a tube sticking out the back. Which right. just makes me wonder, what the hell are they draining off of her? She's just sad. So, we find out that the mystery ailment is heartbreak. Okay, seriously, Kandor, you have the medical expertise of an entire alien world, and the only diagnosis you can come up with is Amadala Syndrome? <laughs> I love when your laugh gets that edge to it. The reason she gets diagnosed with heartbreak is they found a Hollywood headshot of Supergirl under her pillow, stained with tears. So the doctor decides that having a monitor brought in so that she can watch Supergirl may snap her out of the depression. And as they're watching TV, they see Supergirl and Comet driving off a pack of alien space brains. Oh no, the brainoids are attacking Earth again for no reason. James, no. I have to make the joke every time. Okay. And then we see her enjoying a picnic with... Her foster parents, and Allura starts crying, and we we get some memories of Supergirl's birth. We find out that on Krypton, apparently the parents didn't do the naming. Just this old crone that we've never seen before decides to name their baby for them. Yes, because she was born under the constellation of the ancient Kryptonian goddess of beauty, Kara. Which is really unfair to label a child with. So she's going to have a complex with that name. Um, and then a virus swept through Argo City where Kara had to be put in an isolation cabinet. This is what gave Kara her long-standing tolerance for loneliness. And I know that Kara's first pet was a six-legged creature named a loomer. Looks horrifying. <laughs> 
James, can you count the limbs on that creature? No. Please? I give up at seven. It's like, it's like Cthulhu. If I look at it too long, I'll go mad. So it has seven tentacle-like legs and two arms. And it's blue with green Dalmatian spots. And it has a teddy bear mouth. <laughs> and soulless black eyes. And we get memories of bedtime stories. And one of the bedtime stories was how Argo City escaped the destruction of their home planet. And then we get a scene on the hospital lawn with Allura in her space wheelchair. Pumping out all of that depression. We find out about android dolls that look like real babies and can walk, talk, laugh, and cry. And that's just f***ing terrifying. And uh, Allura sees that, sees that it kind of looks like Kara. It's like, ooh, I want it. So she just gets out of her wheelchair and snatches the robot baby away. No, she she goes to a department store and steals one. Please, you mustn't take me away. The little girl will miss me. I'm her android doll. Hush, my little one. You're not a doll. You're my own dear little Kara. And then the hand that rocks the cradle happens in its entirety. Eventually, she is forced to give the doll android back to the doctor with the weird mustache. Well, I think it's Space Jim Gordon. <laughs> and he has a thought bubble about how Allura must be reunited with Kara or she'll die. And so he contacts Supergirl by using the Kandorian communications headquarters. And sends a message to one of the Supergirl robots to relay back to Supergirl whenever she gets home. But who ends up hearing it first but Fred and Edna? And they are distraught. Supergirl's real mother dying of heartbreak because she misses her child. It's all our fault. The only reason she isn't with her real parents is because she can't bear the thought of hurting us by living with them. She is torn between two loyalties. There's only one thing to do. We must destroy Supergirl's love for us. If we can make her think we don't want her, she'll rejoin her parents. I know, we'll call Superman. He's good at that. That's right. But first, I'll remove this robot's tapes. Oh, by the way, as Fred's saying that, he's leaning over to Robot Kara's chest, and it does not look right at all. <laughs> so Supergirl gets home, and her parents have gone full evil step-parent. Mother, Dad, what are you doing with all of my trophies and robot spare parts? I'm tired of the way you keep cluttering up the basement with your junk. I've never seen such a mess. My, what a spoiled brat you've become. You've taken over the whole basement with your equipment. We haven't a bit of room for ourselves. Do you think the whole world centers around you, Supergirl? Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I'll take some of it to the fortress tomorrow. Later, as Supergirl prepares to go on a date in her Linda Lee identity, I don't care if you do have a skating date. You're not leading this house, young lady. When you're not on those so-called vital missions, you're gallivanting around with your friends. It'll do you some good to stay home for a change. Why are they suddenly so annoyed with me? They're both probably tired. I'll help out by cooking supper. Linda, I don't want you in my kitchen. I'd rub myself. I'm sick of the way you show off your powers to make me feel inferior. The roast is overdone. The cake burned. That's the last time you use your superpowers around here. 
Yes, Dad. <laughs> and they seem to conveniently forget that Kara has x-ray vision and super hearing because they start crying to themselves about how they don't want to be doing this and Linda overhears it all. And she confronts them and they tell her that the real reason is that they want her to rejoin her Tonian parents because her mom is dying of heartbreak. So Supergirl heads to the bottle city of Kandor and gets told by the doctor to bring her real parents into the outer world with her. And so he decides that because the exchange rate ray operates only by switching one body for another, she's going to send the Danverses to Krypton and bring her crypto parents to Earth. And that is just laziness on Supergirl's part. I'm sure if she spent five minutes on Craigslist, she could find two people who have dreamed to be small. And to live in a future city from the stars. Uh, I, I can't explain it. It's the only way it works for me. So Kara brings Zor-El and Allura out of Kandor, and they have superpowers. And says a tearful goodbye to her parents. Goodbye. <laughs> I'll work day and night to find a way to return you to the outside world. No, let us remain at Kandor. Perhaps we can learn to forget you in that exotic city inside bottle. Uh, my mother certainly forgot me inside of a bottle. <laughs> wow, James, that went dark fast. My life went dark fast for Oh, So Linda comes up with an alibi about how Fred took an engineering job abroad. And meanwhile, inside of the city of Andor, uh, Fred and Linda are introduced to the Supergirl Emergency Squad's weekly meeting. <laughs> Which only makes them feel worse. And I have to say, Edna has picked the wrong place to forget about a Kryptonian. Right. And it turns out heartbreak is not a Kryptonian-only disease. It is both Kryptonian and Earth people, because Edna is suffering from it. And that's when Linda comes to visit. But it's not really Linda. It is Dar-Lin. Dar-Lin. Deal with that, listeners. <laughs> From the Candor City Orphanage, and she looks exactly like Linda Lee. This isn't going into Vertigo territory at all, Edna. <laughs> and so the the issue ends with Edna deciding or not she's going to adopt this poor child from the orphanage. I say, apropos of nothing, just shows up on their doorstep going, Please, adopt me! This grown-ass woman... <laughs> It, ju it just seems so sinister to me. So that brings us to Action Cops number 315 from August of 1964, also written by Dorfman, also drawn by Mooney. And the title of this story is The Menace of Supergirl's Mother. And oh my god. Listeners, we almost used this page as our opener instead of the college page because holy crap. It is bizarre. Let's just say it involves a tomb of kryptonite and Edna Danvers dramatically pulling off a rubber mask to reveal that it was her all along. So, anyway, we open right where we left off with the Danverses settling Candor and Darlin, <sighs> who apparently we get an off-screen adoption because... They don't mention it at all. Adoption? I think she just didn't leave. Um, and Edna flubs and calls her Linda, 
which hurts Darling's feelings. Causing her to cry a single Supergirl tear. So I think she's just a long-lost twin sister. (laughs) And they torture this poor girl by having a shrine to their other daughter who they can't see. Just look how much better this other girl who looks identical to you is. Wait, wait, no. She's prettier. That's when we get a scene of Linda watching her Candor viewer monitor and doesn't see the shrine, apparently. Just sees how happy Darlin and Edna are. And (laughs) I don't. How confused must Supergirl be with this evil twin daughter seducing her parents? For for the, like, the seventh time, too. Apparently she has, like, the third most common face in the world. (laughs) And we get another trademark Supergirl single tear. I miss them more than words can say. Even though they seem to have forgotten me. We cut back to Candor, where Arlen is taking an electronic shower and wearing a trench coat, of all things, before she goes into her electronic shower. And the locket that she leaves on the desk beeps. And we find out that the locket was given to her by her real mother and father, Xantor and Rena. I got that, Xantor and Rena. And they were famous scientists and explorers. And three years ago, they went on an expedition to a top-secret destination and put her in an orphanage. I mean, it's just like taking the dog to a shelter while you go on vacation. Uh, And it turns out that the locket opens to be a communicator, and Xantor is trying to contact Darlin... So now Darlin is going back to her crypto parents. Who have just been living in a cave for three years, waiting for her daughter to open a goddamn locket. And so they find Rena and Xantor in the cave, and they found a cachet of rare Kryptonian minerals. So now they're rich. Fred and Edna just losing a child, losing a Linda to handsome, rich Kryptonian parents yet again. <laughs> and... The healer gives Edna sedative pills to help her sleep away her heartbreak. This is all turning into a Tennessee Williams play fast. Like, this this is so absurd. So, they go to an underwater zoo the next day, and... Where they encounter the mysterious Srang, creature whose poisonous barbs cause its victims to hate whatever they're thinking of at that moment. And... The rest is history. Edna was thinking of Supergirl's real parents, Allura and Zorel. So she comes out of her encounter with the Zorang, hating them, and decides that she will put sleeping pills in Fred's soup, so she murders Fred. Dying face first in a plate of soup, as we all knew he would. And... It turns out that their house was originally owned by a Kandorian actress who just happened to leave costumes behind when she moved. Including just a rubber mask. And a jet belt. All the things Scarlett Johansson uses. So she goes to the Kandor Communication Center to spy on the Zorel and Lura, who are alone in the Fortress of Solitude, and... Contacts them, claiming to be Bira, a Kandorian scientist. And 
claims to have a cure for kryptonite poisoning. So she convinces the Kryptonian dupes to leave Kandor and meet her in the remote Himalayas where a shrine to Supergirl and Superman has been built into a mountain. Where Allura is on to her dastardly tricks because she notices that Vera is using a jetpack and she just claims to be testing it. Edna's such a bad liar. All she can come up with is, um, shut up, that's why. She tells them to open this lead box for the surprise of her life. Leading to, no, betrayal, Kryptonite. Yeah, because Allura and Zorel are apparently rubes and just go and open a lead box. At this point, you should know, it's always kryptonite. Anytime anything is stored anywhere for any reason, it's kryptonite. The surprise inside of Lucky Charms this week? Kryptonite. What's in the box that you think is holding the engagement ring? Kryptonite. You're asleep next to your husband. He rolls over, puts his arms around you. Nope. Kryptonite. So, at that point, Edna takes off the rubber mask. Don't you recognize me? I'm Edna Danvers, Supergirl's foster mother. You stole from me, and this is my vengeance. Uh, as they collapse to the ground, she explains the details of her villainous plan. Uh, Supergirl once told her about the memorial, which was created by uh, aliens that she and Superman had helped in the Himalayas, which they then filled with kryptonite. <laughs> as a safe place to keep them until Superman figures out a way to destroy it. Which is kind of like building a Murray Curie museum and stocking it full of uranium. But this is in no way disrespectful. And then she explains that that's when she decided to use this place to get rid of her rivals for Supergirl's love. And that's when Linda finds out what's going on and goes to save Zor-El and Allura and chastises the crap out of Edna. <laughs> Why should you want to kill my real parents? I didn't think anyone could be so evil. I thought you loved me. No, I never want to see you again. The Supergirl Emergency Squad is coming to take you back to Candor. So, a bunch of tiny Supergirls fly Edna away. And there is no worse way for a custody battle to end than being carried away weeping by tiny versions of your estranged daughter. And that's when we cut back to Fred, who has woken up from his near-disastrous bleeding pill soup. Thank God he didn't inhale any. And he explains that she was poisoned by the serang, and then Edna single-tear apologizes. And Supergirl, single-tear, accepts the apology, and then just collapses, crying. Because she can't decide between her two parents. That leads us to action number 316, September of 1964, written by Dorfman, art by Mooney, Supergirl's Choice of Doom. God, such a bad couple of months for Supergirl this episode. And Allura and Zorel are contacted by a tri-communicator so that Fred and Edna Danvers could really visit them in Supergirl's new Fortress of Solitude. And then they head back to Candor, and apparently left the- Dear friends, take care of our little girl. She may be Supergirl to the rest of the world, but to us, she'll always be our Linda. Signed, the Danvers. Way to protect my secret identity, Dad. So, 
Can we add the single tier to the drinking game? At this point, we'd be dead. <laughs> because we get another single tier as Linda is remembering how happy she was with the Danvers and Middell, and that's when Allura and Zorel realize how happy she was and how unhappy she is right now. And being true Kryptonians, they decide the only remedy to the situation is asking a horrible computo machine what they should do. So they go up to Superman's weird Reddit Ask Me Anything machine <laughs> that can apparently answer any question asked, and ask it what the world would look like if they were to stay with Supergirl. And so we see clips of them lifting a temple above the Nile and rescuing moon prospectors and going to see World's Fair. Being awkwardly introduced to Jero, the merboy. So it's not all happiness. And a deadly menace appears on the screen and is known as what, James? Zygor, the deadly menace. And it looks kind of like a beholder from Dungeons oh, it, and Dragons. it's just a beholder with its tentacles behind it, firing jet fumes. Yeah, it's it's a beholder, but with only three tentacles, and they are straight and firing jet engines. And it just, his mouth is open, so he just looks like he's flying through the cosmos going, <laughs> He looks terrified. And that's when we find out that... Well, first, we get yet another Supergirl origin, and we find out that the Zygar had ravaged Argos City, and we find out that not only are its tentacles jet engines, but they are also feeder tubes? With, like, some suction cup abilities? It's not... Yeah, like, it devours asteroids, and then it attacked Argos City, and then... It cut a hole in Argo City and everybody's losing their oxygen. And that's when Zorel uses a mirror to scare away the Zygor. I've heard your name, Zorel. Someday I will find you again. <laughs> and so then, after finishing his story, Zorel turns back on the future computer. And we see Supergirl. Flying to intercept the Zygor. God, this thing is harder to follow than the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. The Zygor has been observing Supergirl's career telepathically. And then recharges her memory so she can recall her recollection as a baby of the attack. Then uses his mental powers to brainwash Kara into helping him kill her father. I love how all business dies from this point out. Like, he's just walking around on his tentacles like, Yes, yes, follow my bidding. James, can you tell me how he got his kryptonite vision powers? It's true. As a result of eating red kryptonite mediums, I acquired a form of kryptonite vision which gives me hypnotic control over super beings from Krypton. Come, get me to your fortress. At once, Zygor. Like, how did he find out the effects of his supervision? There aren't that many Kryptonians running around the, the universe. Most of them are in Kandor on Earth. He's a giant space brain, Corey. You saw what one of his babies did to Lena Thorell. So, they keep watching the future computer, and Supergirl lures Zor-El and Allura to the- er, Zor-El and Superman to their deaths. 
as they both get captured by Zygor and and using 2000s horror movie protagonist levels of Zygor decides to make Kara choose which Kryptonian shall live and which Kryptonian shall die and of course both of them tell her to kill the other well superman decides to use reverse psychology by saying no kill me just using some of that classic superman guilt so just as kara is about to throw one of the switches real life kara breaks the machine because she doesn't want to see that future she doesn't want to know which one she kills it was superman and that's when zor-el says that the computer was just predicting what the future world would look like if they remained here. So if they go back to Kandor, that's not what'll happen. Voila! Very convenient for you two. So they go back to Kandor, they do a switcheroo with the Danvers, and as they watch uh, Kara dancing with her boyfriend Dick Malvern and her girlfriend Lena Thorell, who she's just looking <laughs> intently at as Dick tries to make a move. This is the origin of Supercorp, everybody. We find out that the uh, future vision in the AMA machine was actually an elaborate hoax perpetrated by Zorel. Because nothing said like Kryptonian, like pranking Supergirl. Everybody stop lying to Supergirl. She suffered enough. Her emotions aren't your playground. And then we find out that the story of the Zygor is early true, except that Zor-El used a Phantom Zone ray gun to send it into the Phantom Zone, and then it was captured by Kandorians and died in captivity. And Zor-El has kept its bones. As a memorial to what happens to anyone who tries to mess with the house elf. Also, is that the skeleton C-3PO walked by on Tatooine? It kind of looks like the Crate Dragon, doesn't it? Hashtag, it's all connected. Which brings us to Action Comics 317 from October of 1964, written by Dorfman, art by Mooney, the great Supergirl Double Cross. We open at Metropolis Prison, where Luthor has miraculously turned an old television set into a color TV. With his scientific genius, he could be a benefactor to humanity. Truly Luthor's greatest act of redemption was making sure the guards could watch Green Acres in living color. But it turns out that not only did he add color, he added a secret channel where he can spy on his little sister wherever she is. And he's so excited, like he finds out that she has a boyfriend and he's on the edge of his seat to find out who it is. It's like, no, Luthor, no. And that's when the guards take his TV away for the night and we get the snarky editorial captain box. Oh, Luthor, you'd have flipped if you'd seen that photo. The next day, we cut to the home of Linda, where Lena is pulling up in her convertible and explaining that her boyfriend had some important business, but he loaned her his car, and he'll meet them later at the picnic grounds. And that's when they're picnicking, and Jeff still hasn't shown up, but what's going on in the background there, James? Is Dick Malvern fighting a fire? Is that Benjamin J. Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, taking a dump? I have no idea what we're looking at here. <laughs> Okay. It's just an orange rock thing with smoke coming out of it, and Malvern is fondling it. I think it's supposed to be a barbecue pit? Oh, okay, that makes more sense. So, Lena gets a premonition about Jeff 
and about his plane that's about to crash. The editor helpfully tells us she can do due to a childhood head injury. Don't try to church it up, DC. She touched a space brain. So, you know, was right. We see a panel of Jeff parachuting out of a falling plane that is obviously miles away from him because it is tiny. So Supergirl goes to try to save the plane because now he's dropping to a lake. So she has to blow him away from the lake. Whenever he lands, he mysteriously buries his flight suit under fallen leaves. But why? So, Jeff gets introduced to Dick Malvern and Linda. And that horrible orange rock monster sleeping behind them. And Jeff asks Lena where her car, or the car is. Jeff goes to check on it, and Linda spies on him. And he starts turning the spark plugs as if they were dials. And it turns out... Jeff is a spy! She follows him to a man-made island float out at sea, where he is part of a secret spy auction for plans for the latest solar-powered rocket. And Kara has a dilemma. Does she allow her best friend Lena Thorell to date a dastardly spy and saboteur, or does she break her easily scarred Luthorian heart? Linda's pondering this as we cut back to Luthor spying on his sister, and we see Jeff propose to Lena, and Luthor get choked up. He's horrified and he sees the face of the young man. So horrified he destroys his television, but only because the guards caught him using it to spy. I like how bad that looks for Luthor. Who's that girl you're watching? Nothing! Then we cut back to the party, and Linda's using a hypnotic pendant out of rare space crystal. Sure. And she convinces him to dance with her. And eventually to give her the engagement ring he had promised to Lena. Lena sees this and is horrified that her best man and best girl would betray her in such a way. And heartbroken, she runs off back home. Tears up her autographed photo of Kara that she has. And Linda uses hypnotic suggestion to erase his memory of the evening. When Jeff shows back up at Lena's house, and she throws him out. Kara uses her contacts at the FBI to try to get the drop on this mysterious, uh, super spy auction ring, when suddenly Jeff walks in. We find out Jeff is actually a double agent, and the reason Luther was so mad is that he once helped the FBI catch Luthor. You goofed in it this time, didn't you, Supergirl? So... With Jeff's help, Supergirl catches the gang of super criminals, and thanks Lena, who is joining the overseas nurses' aides, because if there's one thing Lena does, it's run away to different countries when things go terribly wrong. Runs away to different countries doing jobs not applied for. That's the Luthor way. Right? And the Danvers has got old really fast, James. They did. Kara goes to see a white-haired friend Edna Danvers, who, I guess, just the shock of being shrank and enlarged so many times over the course of a month just ravaged their body. And after receiving some words from encouragement, she goes downstairs to her Supergirl lab. And that's when Linda builds a Jeff robot... And the Jeff robot explains that he was built by Supergirl to pose as the real Jeff, and the real Jeff needed to keep military secrets, so the Jeff robot posed as him and is the one that gave her the ring and danced with her. 
Damn it, Kara, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You cannot solve all of your problems with a series of hunky roboto men. And Linda apologizes for deceiving her friend. And Lena and Jeff get engaged. And that's how we end the issue, with Linda playing bridesmaid and pondering when she might one day get married. Readers, who do you think would make the perfect husband for Linda? Supergirl. Danvers. Luthor. It should be Luthor. She should marry Luthor. I want to see her with Luthor. That brings us to our last issue of the month. Action Comics 318 from November 1964, written by Dorf and Art by Mooney. And it is the end of an era as Supergirl goes to college. Corey, our little Supergirl's growing up so fast! I remember when you weren't allowed to go outside. So we open with graduation from high school. Later at the Danvers' home, she decides that she is, uh, because she had been perfect in all of her classes, she got a scholarship at Stanhope College. College will complicate my career, Supergirl, but I can't reject the scholarship without arousing suspicion. I'll go to Stanhope. Is college really going to be any more complicated for your career than high school was, Linda? Really? A wise decision. Your example will encourage other youngsters to continue their education. And who is Fred saying will influence kids by going to college? Local orphan Linda Danvers? Yes. She's an orphan success story, James. She found real parents. And it turns out that Linda's attending Stanhope, but Dick Malvern is attending State Tech a few miles away. State Tech is what he calls the Jiffy Lou he works at. And he's going to take her to the freshman welcome dance tomorrow night. So Linda walking around campus and sees a freshman wanting to join Alpha Lambda Sorority, and her initiation is that she has to roll a peanut up a hill with her nose. Hey, this is nothing. At least she's still wearing clothes. And Linda decides to help her by blowing the peanut uphill with controlled puffs of super breath. That's when Linda overhears the sorority sisters talking about how Linda won the scholarship and they should ask her to join the sorority, but one of the snobby sisters is talking bad about Midvale and how it's a small town that she's never heard of. Lady Midvale is a suburb of Metropolis. Danvers, eh? That name's a little Slavic, isn't it? Hmm. So this snobby girl is the head of the recruitment committee and decides to give her initiation tests that if she fails even one of them, she's out. And the first test is that the department store is running an entertainment for charity and that she has to go kiss the star and date him. And it turns out the star of the charity show is a monkey. So Linda goes and kisses the monkey. Who has a deceptively firm handshake. Because it turns out the monkey is Beppo, the super monkey. Well, if he's wearing a Superman costume, it's legally not bestiality. Come here, you. And so the head of the committee is stunned because her prank turns into something awesome because Linda is flown around with Super Monkey. Linda has such a charmed life, despite all of the crying jags. So the next task is that she has to wear a shabby torn dress to the ball. Ah, but Supergirl was not born yesterday. She comes up with a very simple solution, which is hurling a meteorite into... 
the atmosphere of a total eclipse. Now, no one will be able to see her in her less-than-perfect clothes, and millions will die. Because all dances occur outside, right, James? God, have you ever seen blood in the moonlight? Corey appears quite black. And the next test she gets is to find a mascot for the Stanhope football team. And it turns out that all animals in town have been quarantined because of an epidemic. Wait, wait, a quarantine? Oh, God, Linda, you're infected! And Linda... With an evil look on her face, says that she will find a mascot. Oh, she is at maximum bitch eyebrows. And it turns out she just put in a call to Comet, so we get Super Horse and Super Monkey in one issue. And because Super Horse is vulnerable, he's immune to the infection. So Linda gets to ride Super Horse after getting a ride from Super Monkey earlier. And Super Horse's telepathy lets him know of the the skunk Donna, who despises Linda Danvers. And to throw off of thinking that Linda might be Supergirl, Comet throws Linda from his back. She once again breaks her ass. That's when Donna comes out and says, well, I'll tell you how she's done all this. First, Super Monkey shows up to help her, and then there was a strange, unexpected eclipse, and now Super Horse helped her make a grandstand play. It's obvious. Linda Danvers is Supergirl, or a friend of Supergirl. Well, uh, I do know Supergirl. I just couldn't leave well enough alone, could you, Linda? So after calling Linda Miss Foxy, meow, <laughs> she decides to give her one last test which she has to accomplish without the aid of Supergirl or her fantabulous space powers. The campus bus is picking up 12 exchange students, and Linda's task is to name the countries that they are all from without help from Supergirl. So they get off the bus, and what do they see but a flag from each of their respective countries, which they are then honor-bound to salute. Because that's what I do every time I see an American flag is salute it. Just the right thing to do, Corey. Linda is able to identify that these students come from Indonesia, Nigeria, Arabia, Switzerland, Greece, Argentina, Spain, India, Ceylon, Japan, Pakistan, and Sweden. Hey, Ceylon isn't a country. You made that up, comic books. And she gets offered a spot in the sorority. But Donna has other ideas and gives her one more test. God damn, pack it in, Donna. She gets told that Linda has to find a way to transport books from the old library to the new library without cost. And so Linda posts a note on the giant bulletin board that says, Emergency meeting, all students report to the old library building, which a note is not the best way to get people to report to a place without a specific time on the note. Oh God, she must mean now. But it worked. And she asks each and every one of the students to check out ten library books and then return them to the new library building, which is pretty clever. And it works. Donna is convinced that the only way somebody could have came up with something like that is with a space brain. <laughs> no, really. That, that is her reasoning. Is that Supergirl's super intelligence would have allowed her to come up with that idea. So her next plan of action is to invite Supergirl for a ride in her convertible, go around that one curve that Midvale has, and run their car over the cliff in an attempt to kill them both. And so rather than give up her secret identity, Supergirl uses her heat vision and super speed and 
the rearview mirror to hypnotize Donna, make her black out, and then rescue them both. I'm sure it, she's used to it by now. And how does she rescue Donna, James? She finds gigantic haystacks in the ground below and uses her fantasto speed to push them all together into one mega haystack, which the car then crashes into. Because physics! Just giving Donna horrible whiplash and just snapping her neck like a twig. It's when Donna apologizes and Supergirl gets more into Alpha Lambda sorority and... Donna asks Linda if she can have Supergirl come to the sorority. Aw, now Linda can exclude the black students with all of her new sorority sisters. We'll always be friends forever. That brings us to Super Female. Alright, so I have two options, James. There's one about Superhorse being a freak, or one where the editor tries to explain away Lex Luthor's murder by saying he's only killed robots. Both are tempting, but I think I'm going to go with Superhorse being a freak. Check. Dear editor, the Superhorse became human was terrific. This is the first time I had seen Comet as a human being, but why didn't Bill tell Linda he was really Comet? Pat Lawrence, Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, Look, can you imagine Linda's reaction if Bill told her, uh, I, I'm not really a man, I'm your horse. She'd think he was a freak, which is why he is afraid to tell her his secret. Look, I went through the same thing with my third wife. I told her I was smooching with her sister. I thought she'd be cool with it. She was loose. Well, six months later, I'm sleeping <laughs> under a goddamn bridge, having to accept handouts from Gardner Fox, of all people. Anyway, the point is, just just read the friggin' Superhost story. Look, the... This isn't real. You understand that, right? It's a little funny book we draw to give you a chuckle for... What are these going for? A dime now? Look, I got problems, kid. I don't need to be listening to this. Just... <sighs> Lucille, you still taking all this down? The letter stopped, like, 30 minutes ago. I'm, I'm saying this to you more than anything else. Don't look at me like that. All right. Well, in case you can't get enough of James's Mort, you can hear what the real Mort Weisinger sounded like if you watch the Batman and Bill documentary that's on Hulu. Oh, you never told me what you thought of that. I enjoyed it very much. It's very, very emotional. It is. And, spoiler alert, Mort Weisinger actually sounded like James. It's terrifying. Hooray, I was right about something. <laughs> anyway, that's all for us this month, Super Friends. As always, I've been Corey. You can find me on the internet at Twitter at CoreyMurray21. You can find articles I've written at Women Write About Comics. Um, by the time this airs, there will be several from our trip to San Diego as our little band of miscreants get to attend the Eisner Awards and hopefully accept one. So by now, you'll have found out if we had or not. If not, don't let me know until later. Oh god, Corey, I will pay you so much money to crash the stage, grab the microphone, and say, Okay, I'm gonna let you finish, but Fiona Staples drew one of the best comics of all time. <laughs> James, no. And you can find the show on Facebook at Supergirl Power Hour. You can find the show's website at 
supergirlpowerhour.com. And you can find us on Twitter at sgirlpowerhour. And you can find me on several shows. I talk about movies monthly on Box Office Pulp at Box Office Pulp. You can find me discussing the history of comic books on Graphic Novelism, at Graphic Novelism. And you can find those and many other Pulp Podcast Network shows at pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. We will return next month with the end of 1964 and the beginning of 1965 as we trudge our way closer and closer to the Bronze Age. Oh God, so much brown! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. Bruce, hi. It's, it's me. I just got back on the jets, and I just, I feel awful. And now I'm just sitting here and thinking of all the stuff I should have said and I didn't. I, I mean, I, I didn't even get to tell you that, that I'm your super friend, too. Because of course I am. We're the world's finest. What am I doing? I've got to see you. I've got to get off this jet. Oh my god. Excuse me? Clark, please sit down. I I need to get off this jet, okay? I I need to tell someone that I appreciate them as an ally. I can't fly this thing with you moving around. Let him off the jet. Damn it, Diana. You don't understand. Try to understand. Great row. Let me... No. No. Oh my god. Did he get off the jet? Did he get off the jet? I got off the jet. I respect you as a friend and as a partner. As do I. And I'm never letting you go again. You and me, all right? This is it. Unless we're on a break. Because you broke. I got it, Bruce. Box Office Pulp. Sweeter than Grandma's Peach Tea.